I don't know that we've missed a day on TikTok where we haven't posted at least three, but we target four videos every single day on TikTok. Hey, Princesses, welcome back. We've got an awesome episode coming up. We've got Mr. Steven Farrig. We've got Mr. Austin Maxwell out of Kanga Coolers. I mean, this guy's just a hustler. I don't think there's any other way to put it. Not only does he have a growing business that just hit somewhere greater than $10 million a year in sales after five years, but he's got a really cool you know, uh, travel channel that he's working on. Um, with his wife, he's he's got a couple side hustles, but just the some of the war stories coming out of this business to scale to that, coming out of Shark Tank, working with Mark Cuban in Mr. Beast videos, pretty cool. Uh, I was super fascinated that Austin decided super early on to get into the promotional product space with his products and to start selling custom right off the gate. And we'll hear about that in it. But then I think what's most interesting is talking about how he looks at marketing uh, and what he's done for his company um, as a marketer and something you know called like... He has this concept called like we're, we're going to market by volume, um, which I thought was super, super fascinating. Uh, before that, before we get to the show, we do have some sponsors. Bruce, you want to kick us off? Yep, yep, yep. All right. So if you guys need a solution to help improve efficiency and reduce costs in your art department, GraphX Source offers industry-leading outsourcing options for your shop. And it really becomes a, a part of your team. Campus Inc., you guys are at, what, three? Three artists now? More or less? Four? Five? Four. I don't know. <laughs> Four plus artists helping <laughs> in the art department. Um, so when it comes to steps, mock-ups, creative art, order management, digitizing, customer service, there is no better solution in the industry. They got 30 plus years of experience. Make sure to mention Printavo Pod 2.4. Printavo Pod 24. And that gets you half off your first vector, SEP, or digitizing order. Thanks, Graphic Source. Uh, Bruce, I don't know if you ever remember cleaning dirty screens, if that was part of your past or not. I'm pretty sure you just threw away the screens and got new ones, but <laughs> you shouldn't spend all day cleaning dirty screens. Easy Way's line of environmentally conscious chemicals will get the job done faster, more efficiently, and will cost you a fraction of the cost per screen. At Campus Inc., we use 701 and 842. They're our favorite chemicals. Um, and if you value a company to help you with the how-tos, best practices, and questions, Easyway is there. Give them a go. They work with over 100 distributors, uh, and they are the easiest way. Thanks so much, Easyway. Multicraft Daddy. All right. Step one, open up Instagram. Step two, type in Multicraft underscore daddy. And step three, hit message. Because if you send Multicraft Daddy a message, they were they are sending out PMI tape every single week to people to test it and just to be an awesome distributor and partner in our industry. Multicraft multi screen printing and digital supplies have been supplying our industry for over 50 years with top brands at competitive pricing. You can mention the Printable Pod and that gets you an extra 10% off your first order as well. So that's for the date. That's for Dave and the team over at Multigraph. I appreciate you guys' support. Sweet. Supercolor is the world's best heat transfer. Made for screen printers by screen printers. They understand the pressures and expectations of a screen print printing business. And that's why they pride themselves on being super fast and super easy. Um, throughout the cold holidays, we've had a lot of premium products come in. 
And there's nothing I trust more than using a Supercolor transfer on a North Face jacket. Yep, that's right. Um, their products are made for everything. And uh, if you ever need help, you can reach out to them because they answer super quickly and they're fantastic. So experience them for yourself. Use promo code PRINTABO15. Get 15% off your first order. Thanks so much, Supercolor. All right, let's jump on in. All righty, folks. We've got Austin Cadwell here. Um, I, I'm going to share a little bit of background, but I think the first starting point, Kanga Coolers, a Shark Tank investment, successful investment. Congratulations. Thank but you. More, more than I think than that is congrats on all the 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 marketing efforts, the sales growth, the videos of all you guys fulfilling um, I'm sure Steven can share his fulfilling war stories as well, but you guys both have investments from Cuban. So I thought that was kind of cool too. Oh, that's huge. I didn't even realize that. Let's go. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I took the easy route and just emailed him Austin. I didn't have to sit through auditions and, uh, NDAs and, you know, months of, of, of being muted and stuff like that. He got all the press. Yeah. You got all the press, <laughs> but you got the press and, uh, yeah, I just watched, uh, your guys's pitch, like, uh, five minutes ago and uh, pretty awesome. How, question for you, how long, bef- like when you auditioned to when you actually, when it aired, how long was that time period? Yeah, so we auditioned in March of 2018, pre-COVID, where they actually did the live auditions, kind of like American Idol, where you can walk up, stand in line, they hand you a number, you stand there for 10 hours waiting till you get called. And so March was audition. July, we got notice that we were kind of moving on to the filming stage. September of 2018 was filming. April of 2019 was airing. So 13 months from when we actually like got involved in the entire process to it airing. The business completely changed over that time, let alone the September month to the April month. But that's just kind of how they did it back then. And then uh, when did the actual... So then after it airs... So you also have to go through diligence and like legal and all that stuff. Was that all done before it aired? That's right. Yeah. Months and months of due diligence just to make sure that everything was tightened up. And then honestly, the value really came from that, that episode going live. Like the, but, the exposure was insane. And, but you aren't allowed to talk about it. Correct. Right. Correct. We're, yeah, <laughs> we had to keep things pretty, pretty tight under wraps. Unfortunately, just, I think I signed away my like future newborn kids that are still, you know, I haven't even talked <laughs> you about it. You don't even know what yet. you're signing at that yeah, point. Yeah. You don't when you're, you know, 20 years old and the document's 200 pages long, but what an experience, honestly. But that's really cool, Steven. I didn't realize that just the email, I didn't even know Mark was reading his emails and answering cold emails. So that's legit. Don't do you do you email him pretty regularly still? Nah, there's there's not a ton there's not a ton of communication right now. I mean, honestly, I know you guys in the email said like between us we did not push the deal through, so we were able to do the handshake agreement on stage. We don't normally like throw that out in podcasts. So I know you guys said you could chop some of this stuff in and out. I got. Did you, you have enough stock when the when the episodes hit? No, no. I mean, I mean, we were like just getting out of Kickstarter phase, so like we went on way too early, but we had. Um, a professor who hosted a, a class talk and we had someone who was on the show from Daisy Cakes. She um, was one of the first seasons, did a deal with Barbara. She came and spoke to our class and she was like, guys, this is really cute. This is cool. You guys should go audition. You never know what's going to happen. It might put your name in the hat for future years. 
We didn't know that they'd bring us on when we hadn't even sold the product on our, you know, Shopify site before. We didn't even have a Shopify site. We were running everything through Kickstarter. So we were a little premature, you know, but it still was a blessing. It, it catapulted us, I think, two years into the future. Wow. That story is just, I don't know. I think it's su- super cool. Is like you even said on the show, like you guys each started with $833 to start the company, uh, grew it to $100,000 in sales. Um, and I think the most unique part and the reason like we wanted to talk was on your pitch, you're like, yeah, we sell direct, but we also do custom. And it was and the majority for- then. That's right. Of the business. I don't know about now, but did that come out of your business plan? Like that, there's a lot of intelligence there. Not a lot of people think about going custom right off the bat. Yeah. I even, I even advise against it now when I talk to people, <laughs> I feel like guys, it's probably not the best way. Like it's very complicated. Made to order stuff is crazy hard. Fortunately, we did find a domestic solution to doing embroidery and screen printing and such. But at the time we're basically just looking for ways to generate revenue. We don't know anything about e-commerce. TikTok hadn't really become anything yet where it was actually generating, you know, organic and, and um, impressions and revenue to our website. And so we we're like wholesale, I guess we can go knock on retailer stores, but we didn't have UPCs. We didn't have packaging. We didn't have SKU numbers. So it's like, can't really go to a retailer. They're just laughing at us. So we had a couple of mom and pops take us in, but like some of the bigger boys were like, eh. so we thought, all right, how can we actually work with businesses and use our relationships to um, start generating some revenue and cash flow. Cause like, yeah, like you said, we only put in 830 bucks each to start this thing. We're poor college students. We don't have any money. And so that was an amazing way for us to cash flow the business early on. And so when it really piqued our interest was when we got a DM out of the blue from a representative at Anheuser-Busch. And she was like, I love your guys' product. Have you ever thought about branding it? And we were like, wow, we actually can do full customization. It's made to order. It's dye sublimation. It's done at our factory. You know, what brands are you thinking about? And she's like, well, all of them. Let's do Bud Light, Bush Light, Michelob Ultra, Natural Light. And we were like, okay, this sounds awesome. And so our first PO from her was like 15 grand. It was a test order PO. And that was when it opened her eyes to like, why aren't we going to lifestyle brands? Why aren't we going to the promotional products industry? Why aren't we going to company picnics and golf tournaments. And so, yeah, our first year in business, I think that hundred grand that we generated pre-revenue, like 70 grand of it was just hustling to get custom B2B orders in. Wow. Were you guys doing any of the decoration in-house or were you farming it all out yeah, overseas? Yeah, at that or? time, it was still all our factory overseas. We had done a full made-to-order um, you know, custom good, 150, 200-piece MOQ, 90-day lead time. We told people... Nope, more like 150 days on our first couple <laughs> production runs. So that that had some people a little bit, you know, unhappy. But it was it was a unique item because they we could match Pantones and it could be like fully customizable as opposed to just you know a stock red, blue, or white cooler with a logo. And so the other cool thing about it was that the payment terms helped us as a small business because we would collect a 50% deposit and then we would collect the balance on delivery. Well, that deposit that we collected from the customer, we were able to use to pay our factory. Because without it, we have no money, right? Like there's no banks talking to us. And so that was kind of the early stage of like cash flow in the business. So certain certain businesses that are truly in startup mode, I say it's a good avenue to explore for cash flow purposes. But from a simplicity standpoint, it's not very simple. And you're better off like leveraging TikTok right now to get, you know, your e-commerce site up and going. You're better off reaching out to retailers if you have the UPCs, the SKUs and stuff. But Man, the custom goods industry is amazing and it still makes up about 
20, 25% of our, our business. Wow. Are you at the like ASI or PPI AI shows? Yep. Going to Vegas in a week and a half. Yeah, we've been going. It's okay. a great show. Do you guys go to that? I haven't. I, I go to Sportswear Tailgate directly. I go. We go to Long Beach, ISS Long Beach for screen printing. Yep. Um, and then we go directly to Sportswear Licensing, the tailgate show. Um, and so, yeah, PPAI would, uh, that would mean I would be in Vegas too many days in January. Yeah, <laughs> two, two nights is <laughs> already more of than January. Enough. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You'd be at the Luxor uh, for a 30 day straight. So... So when did you like very intelligent and wise as young people to say, okay, let's sell custom. When did you actually like say, okay, we're going to jump into the ecosystem and get into the ASI or the Sage or promo products, like getting into that network? I think we, we, we kind of fell into it cause we were super naive in the beginning and didn't really realize like how to balance working directly with customers. And then also needing to have preferred pricing for our promotional products distributors. And so honestly, we had a guy who, you know, he kind of took us under his wing early in Charlotte and he was like, guys, the, the pricing sheet you just gave me, I, are you sending that same one directly to the breweries and directly to the customers? And we were like, yeah, of course, like one pricing sheet for all. Right. And he was like, all right, guys, I'm going to help you out. C coded pricing. Let's explain the, the way that this industry works. You, you'd want to be careful because you don't want to step on other people's toes because your distributor network is your sales force and they're the ones out there hustling and they're, they do an amazing job for us. And we, what we also realize is that the big fish in the, in the um, promotional product space always ordered through distributors. They never wanted to talk direct. They always wanted to work with that relationship that they'd had for years. And we were all about that. And so we had to rerun the model and we had to make sure that we were coming in at 30, 40% margin for our distributors. And, and then we increased our price when we were working direct with customers. So we kind of found that balance with both. So there's enough margin for everyone. And uh, fortunately, we had that guy kind of help us out because I could imagine if it kept going for too much longer, you know, I, you hear about getting blacklisted and blackballed and all that crazy stuff in this industry. But um, I think we have a good balance right now with we do still work with small golf tournaments and small breweries. And we do, you know, 100 piece runs at that direct pricing. But a bulk of our large orders now are all running through our, our distributor partners. They say we're working with about 50 to 100 of them. Gotcha. Is that, do you think the focus is, is trying to grow the direct to consumer side or the wholesale side or both? I think that the custom and the wholesale channels from a growth rate percentage have the most upside going into 2024. Like e-commerce has been our largest channel ever since that first year. Um, we learned about scaling Facebook ads and Google ads, but there's becoming some diminishing returns in that space. And it's a little bit more difficult and expensive to get in front of your core customer right now with, with paid ads. And so 2024, I think we're going to be leaning a lot more into organic marketing. How can we get these free impressions? How can we build this brand equity, brand awareness? But then, hey, B2B has so much room to grow. Like I've seen people in, in our network who are getting multi-million dollar POs for promotional products. And we're like, there's something here. And, and we've seen it. You know, We've done some really good business with large casinos and Uline and breweries. And I'm like, I think that this channel, you know, has huge upside. And then from a big box retail perspective right now, we're just working with Ace Hardware. They've been an amazing partner for us the last two and a half years, but it's like, it'd be really interesting to, to start having conversations with the Cabela's, Bass Pro, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods, REIs of the world. I don't think we're a Walmart or a Target brand. Ironically enough, a couple of years ago, we um, did a licensing deal when we were 
you know, one year into the business. Um, and that company licensed our patent of our iceless cooler and they created a Kanga cooler, what appeared to be a knockoff because they wanted to go in at half of our retail price point. They wanted to push it into Walmart and Target and big box stores like that. And people would go into the store. They would see a, a 1595 retail price point or a 1995 retail price point and assume that the quality was lower. And they were like sending us pictures. Hey guys, you guys are getting knocked off. Like what's going on? We're like, well, it kind of is our product, but it's just a dumbed down version of it. And we realized that there was brand equity in the Kanga name and, and that people, cause it wasn't called a Kanga cooler. They use like a spinoff name. And so I think we've learned that that strategy of big box is probably not something we're going to pursue it, you know, in the foreseeable future. You know what? We did the same thing. Getting We're big in the NIL space. We work with college athletes and we produce jerseys and TJ Maxx um, approached us to do a bunch of stuff. And we're like, okay, these POs are huge. Let's take a stab at it. And so we, we did that same exact thing. And then I was getting texts of people like, oh, I see you're like, oh, you're already on discount. And I was like, ah, crap. Yeah. Right. And I, I said it to someone once. He's like, yeah, don't be so proud of that. I'm like, oh, okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you really have to like try to maintain that 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 brand feeling. And when people start, and we try to never discount. Like year round, we max offer ten percent off if we get your email or your SMS. But then we'll run a discount for Father's Day and for for Christmas, basically. And otherwise, we stay full so. Place. Austin, I was my wife was telling me the other day. She's like, "Did you know Stanley's did seven hundred and fifty million dollars?" Saw that on LinkedIn this year. week. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so, in a drinkware market or drink accessory market where there's always, you know, it was the swell, and now I've got this Ovala thing, and you know, I've got the ice shaker, right? Like, how do you all try to stay relevant, knowing that? Stanley's there and Yeti's here and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We have to come out with more innovative products or, and, or have a brand that people want to support regardless if it's a similar product type. And so that's why we'll be investing a lot more this year into building the brand equity. And we had some really cool Q4 brand plays recently that, that gave us a boost. We, we won a Mr. B Shopify contest and we got in a YouTube video and uh, that just crossed 150 million views this week. And so when you think about like our Shark Tank episode probably had five to seven million live viewers. And if you add up all the PR and stuff, maybe 20 million people saw the Shark Tank uh, episode and, you know, 150 million people saw the Mr. Beast video with Kanga Coolers having a 90 second ad in the middle of it in the last like four weeks. So <laughs> that was the single most reach we've ever had as a brand. And did you see a direct association to sales like can you see it like mr beast dropped this day our sales went up or just clicks like, from youtube yeah or like clicks like yeah we what did that look like we thought we were going to see the immediate jump but it was more of a 20 ish we're, we're still like getting to the nitty-gritty with it but we were like comfortable saying about a 20 percent increase above what we were already doing and we have to attribute it to that mr beast video because there was nothing else exciting happening in that time like yes our ads were more effective we have higher quality ads this year than we had last q4 um, and we had some TikToks going viral, but like, we're pretty confident that it gave about that boost over the course of like late November until Christmas. So three or four week period. And, um, just the PR wave that rode with that. I mean, Forbes was writing articles. We had two news crews show up to our warehouse to film. We had so many Clemson, um, email lists picking it up. And so I think we're still all digesting like 
what happened from that moment. I mean, the warehouse could feel it. The warehouse was, was busy. <laughs> uh, okay. Austin, you know, I don't know if you're the marketing genius or yeah. if you're friends with the marketing genius or you hired a marketing genius, your Instagram. And I think you're the genius. Cause I know you run a personal travel Instagram too. Maybe like with someone, right? Yeah. With my wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So maybe she's the genius. <laughs> um, uh, but like you have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. Your marketing is awesome. You're doing things like this Mr. Beast drop. Like who's the brainchild behind all of this? Can you walk us through that? I'm definitely not, not the genius. I think that we have just a combination of unbelievably talented young people that we've brought into our ecosystem. And, you know, I think one of the coolest things that we've done is promote within. And so, we have two full-time guys who started as brand ambassadors that found out about us from a TikTok three years ago. You know, we have interns that are getting promoted to full-time. We have temporary warehouse workers that are now head of operations. Like it's been a crazy journey of promoting within. Um, but the strategy has just remained the same. And I think we're just, we're consuming content from other people that we look up to. And I'd say like Chubby Shorts is a good example of it and what their model is and how they, they were the approachable clothing brand in a very crowded shorts and pants space. We want to be that approachable, fun, friendly, cooler brand in a crowded, hardcore, intense, you know, big, bulky, cooler industry. And so our strategy from content is volume, make tweaks and keep posting volume. And so I think that's why we found this growth pattern is, you know, for the last year, I don't mean by volume. I don't know that we've missed a day on TikTok where we haven't posted at least three, but we target four videos every single day on TikTok. We take our best one or two from TikTok. We rip it down. We repurpose it for Instagram reels, Facebook reels. And if it's under 60 seconds, it can go up on YouTube shorts. And then we take the most appropriate ones, which not all of them are LinkedIn appropriate, but if there is one that has some sort of a business <laughs> aspect to it, we'll put it on LinkedIn too. Cause we have a, we have a breakfast beers component and things that we do that aren't necessarily like a good voice for LinkedIn. Um, but we have a Facebook VIP group and we just try to be as many places as possible. And yep. So that's, and are you doing that all in house or do you have an agency helping you? No, it's, it's completely in house. I mean, about a year and a half ago is when we hired the, you know, the, the full-time content creator we've had social media interns and social media kind of full-time managers in the past. But when we really hired, the, the guy to, to manage the entire process. We call him like the quarterback of the social media department. And he has support from all of us because a lot of us like to be those fun personalities getting involved in the content. And so if he needs to pull us for a two hour filming block and we go out to quick trip in Walmart and some familiar places, Publix, you know, we're not really fussing. We're just like, let's go film. Like we understand the value. And that like, that's to sell direct. That's not really to sell B2B that much, right? Like it's mostly direct D2C. It's just the brand awareness in general because we have had a lot of retailers who have said, I saw your guys' TikTok. I saw you guys that reel on Instagram. And so I'm interested right. now. I, you know, I want to be a customer um, or my son sent me this and whatnot. One really cool stat that we had is about a year and a half ago, we had a video go viral on TikTok and it wasn't even crazy viral. Like it was one and a half million views. We've had videos get 20 million views. But this specific one was storytelling, talking about the class project that we started at, that we put in $833. Um, it brought more revenue and traffic to our website than the night that our Shark Tank episode aired. And so we call that Spike Day. 
And we've tried to replicate it. We haven't exactly replicated that specific moment. But when I tell people that, I think they understand the power of social media and that they should probably put a little bit more focus and emphasis in it and storytelling specifically. And then, okay, so when you do that, do you then have someone on your team that's pushing Facebook ads? Like you're just boost, not boosting them, but essentially accelerating them to, to I eyeballs? I think three, two or three of our top five best performing ads in Q4 were TikToks that just got ad spend put behind them. Because they're, so, they're low production quality. And I think people will respond to that well right now because it's just like shot with an iPhone. And so, uh, you know, how... How much are you spending on ads in a given day? It varies. We scale up during Q4. I mean, we're getting to a point where we're spending tens of thousands of dollars a day in, in meta ads, you know, year round, you know, it varies, but a couple thousand bucks a day. Um, you know, this, this year was our first year closing over eight figures in the calendar year. And we all felt pretty good about that. And we did it profitably. And uh, I think just, if we can, if we can continue to focus on these different channels, like the organic marketing, like the promotional product space, like wholesale, while holding the e-commerce growth at maybe twenty or thirty percent, we can have a really monster twenty twenty four. So, when did you when you went on at twenty eighteen? It's twenty twenty four. You've grown so to 10, 10 over million, 10 million dollars in sales in five four to five years that's incredible i appreciate it guys. um that's yeah bravo there there's few that can do that um and grind through it something you talked about there that you you quickly like glanced over was media remixing like content remixing and so anyone listening to this like the and correct me if i'm wrong if, if i'm understanding this right Right, like at Kanga, you guys have one content creator that's just creating content all the time, like kind of behind the scenes, just all the time, produce as much as you possibly can. Then you put that out on TikTok, three videos a day, and then you chop those down and use them across every different channel. So, like, one piece of content can be used like 15 or 20 different times. Am I? You nailed it. I, that's, that's spot on. And, and that's okay. the strategy that I tell everyone if you're just getting started. Take the volume approach, do it hard and fast and true and honest for six months straight, then lift your head up, look at the results. And I can almost guarantee that people would be shocked. That's what we did with the travel page. You know, it's almost at a million followers across Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok right now. Cause my wife and I were like, we're going to post every single day for six months, not look at the analytics and then lift our heads up and be like, what happened? And, um, I just, I believe very firmly in that approach. And then. And then will you even take that as far as to like do blog and copy on it? Absolutely. We used to have a Kanga blog and I think we, we need to get back to it. I mean, ChatGPT kind of has made it a very crowded space because now you can type in a couple keywords and ChatGPT can spit out this blog. And so I'm seeing a lot more like text and copyright stuff on the internet than I did like two years ago. But I still think that it's ineffective because even the copyright can be a piece of content because you can screenshot it and you can post it as an Instagram feed post. You can drop it in a Facebook VIP group. You can use it on email. So it's, it's wild out there. And you, you have two employees doing this entire thing. Yeah. We've got one, one guy managing, you know, quarterbacking the social media. We do have a full-time media guy who is the one creating the professional ads, chopping those up. He'll grab the TikTok and make sure that it's properly formatted with captions and good to go for ads. But it's the two internal guys, really. And then um, we have a marketing manager who is running our Facebook and Google and, you know, meta ads 
Um, and that's kind of wow. the department. I'd say we have three or four internal people focused on marketing. And then we have um, a couple contractors who do, you know, graphic design here and there. And, um, you know, we work directly with Facebook. So if we need to like look into the analytics and understand what we're doing, what we're doing wrong, uh, we've got one email, one email gal. So, wow. <laughs> we're, we're taking a, uh, an e-commerce growth lesson course here from you, Austin. So and I'm not, um, I'm not even the e-commerce okay. guy. I, 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 you know, if, <laughs> if you ever want to dive in deep, like my partner, Logan, he is the e-commerce expert. He lives in the weeds. He was staring at the Facebook ads, Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend and tweaking it by the minute. Every single minute he had to make little changes that made incremental differences because we were trying to decide, are we going to spend 50 grand today? Or are we going to spend 250 grand today? And wow. so he had to make well, sure. What's an, what's an example of like a small tweak like that, that you're like, wait, what? I and don't know. That's what I'm trying to, I want to know from him. I, I need him to teach me a crash course <laughs> on like e-commerce ads. Cause we're over here. I'm like, well, I'm going to make sure that I'm helping Rob get four TikToks out, you know, all, all weekend and, uh, and working Damn. on partnerships and we work with, you know, the ambassador program and, you know, that's another effective, marketing strategy that I wish more brands would take seriously. And I learned it from Chubbies because I was a Chubbies ambassador, the ambassador in college. Yeah. Like these college kids work? are young and motivated and hungry and they want to learn about sales and marketing and they're not learning it in the classroom. And so if you're a brand that has, you know, a product, you can host an ambassador program, create a Facebook group, create a group meet, let them engage with each other. We've hosted two ambassador retreats where kids are coming from all over the country to Nashville or to Clemson, South Carolina, they're like, I feel like we're best friends. We've known each other for two years. And it's like, this is their first time ever meeting. And I look at them not as like sales ambassadors. I just want them to promote the brand and promote the brand voice on their campus or in their city. And now we have some who have graduated four years ago that are still the, our college ambassador program just because they, they love it. They love, you know, getting free product. They love posting pictures. And um, we recruited the entire program through TikTok. We were fortunate to have one application request TikTok go viral and it, it brought about 4,000 applicants into our wow. ecosystem. And so when we were picking the 300 or 500, you know, studs and stallions from that, that definitely helped. And I don't expect <laughs> that to be the norm. Like TikTok two years ago was a lot easier to go viral, but I still think we're early on some of these platforms. Facebook reels is crazy. 20, 25 million views on one video is, is insane. That's um, Stephen's model, uh, by the way, is students. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we hire students to sell into the sororities and the fraternities and they recruit each other and it kind of grows by wildfire. Um, and the best ones come on full time after graduation, but you can't just start an ambassador program. Right. Like it's got to have, you know, a dedicated manager. You've got to be able to ship them stuff in real time because they're going to beat you up if you don't do it right. Um, or they're going to drop you on your ass. That's right. Uh, if, if, if you botch it, I think the most inspiring part, you know, uh, there's shops that are listening to this that might be D to C, they might be to B to B, but there's a commitment to you, you made to content. And it's like, we don't know when we're going to get the long tail results of this, but we're going to stick to it for a very long time. And I think that's where a lot of small businesses really struggle is they'll be like, okay, I posted one time a day. I didn't get anything. It's like, no, 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 no. Three times a day, cut it down into reels, cut it down into more TikToks, cut it down into posts, cut it down into stories. Um, you know, this podcast alone will remix a, a handful of times. And, you know, it's like you don't have to recreate the wheel. Um, Bruce, are there any other brands that you see that do this really well? Because 
Austin, Bruce and I like chat about this and we're like, we're very we're fascinated always, by we're you deep doing in this. content. Um, the one brand I've actually looked at a lot is uh, Yeti's content. They've gone super long form. I'm sure they do a lot of the short form stuff too, but they make these 15 minute documentaries oh, yeah. almost like Yeti these mini documentaries on youtube yes yes they're phenomenal and i've just been fascinated because i love to do this with some of the people in our space and uh kind of like little 60 minutes episodes and so i'm sure they get cut down and used in other places too but um i find the dedication to this is important but the execution on the people side which i appreciate you sharing there too is is the harder part as well because you know a lot of shop owners or business owners are just so busy doing stuff. It's like how do I find the time to to do this? And it sounds like utilizing interns, um, and then when you can, just getting one person that's just a hustler uh, to really be able to own it. And and like was that one person? Did that come from the intern program or was that a uh, was that an application for a full time role you had? Yeah, no, he was. He came from the program. He was a brand ambassador for about a year and a half, so he knew the brand. He knew the brand voice. He knew what breakfast beers was, and so it was a very easy transition. And I, I had that same thing. People process. talk about. They're like, I just don't have time for this, man. And I'm just like, I just don't think that you're putting it as high on the priority list as it should be. Because I think, obviously, like there's no none of us have enough time to do everything we want to do. But I think at Kanga, we've just put content higher on the list than a lot of other businesses. And that's why it does. It feels like we, we always get around to it because it may be one of the top three or five most important things that we do. And a lot of other small business owners view it as like the 10th or the 15th most important thing to do. Mm -hmm. What about scaling? I mean, you know, five years, 10 million sales plus you, you two different processes, right? The custom and direct to consumer, there's got to be some some challenges or some war stories there. So, I mean, so many. If you look at just going from Logan, my partner's parents' basement, which was warehouse number one, to warehouse number two, <laughs> which was $600 a month. It was in a terrible part of town in South Carolina. There were frequent shootings that happened in the outside area. No heat, no AC. If someone tried to charge their laptop while I was trying to microwave my lunch, the entire place <laughs> would short circuit. And, but we built a half pipe in there as the silver lining and as the retention strategy to get our first and second employees hired and brought in there. And we were in there for about 11 months. Because it was just fun as hell. And it's just, yeah, I mean, because everybody wants one. We had this waiver. I was like, this waiver is never going to hold up in court, guys. Like, let's just not get hurt. But what the waiver is not doing anything. And uh, there's just great memories that have come from some of those moments where I hated it in the moment. I was like, I'm wearing this big puffy jacket. We're fulfilling orders. It's freezing in the winter. It's you're sweating. You're sweating like crazy in the summer. But I'm like, those are moments that made me appreciate, you know, warehouse number three, which had heat and AC and a working bathroom. And it was like, okay, perspective. Like this has been bootstrapped from the beginning. No invest, you know, no major investment was taken on. And so I think I can sleep at night knowing like we've made really good progress. And I think we're just like, we're hungry over the next five years. I really think that if we can build a brand that people want to get behind as we launch new products, which this will be our first, our first year really coming out with some new, new stuff. Um, I think we can have some, some staying power here. And Logan, my partner, he always talks about how he wants to be built to last and not just to pop. And I think our original iceless cooler concept, the 12 pack, maybe was just like popped. And then we didn't have enough emphasis in the brand. 
So then year two, three, we were like, this needs to be a brand. And so we can come out with soft-sided coolers and people still want to buy them. We can come out with backpack coolers, maybe hats and shirts and some, some swag. So, um, yeah, we're excited. Wow. So, uh, we talked about Yeti, right? Like the elephant in the room, I guess Bruce always will say, you know, whoever your competitor is, he'll just bring it up for me. He'll do it. He'll be like, well, what does fanatics think? Anyways, have you <laughs> approached them or talked to them or thought about an exit strategy or anything like that? Yeah, we've, we've spoken with, with them. We've spoken with Corksicle and, and some other like large brands and brewmate in this space. And, um, I think that there there's potential in the future to maybe maybe work together. What I'm when I look at Yeti, I think we're actually like complete opposites and there's a world where we both live in and we both prosper. Obviously they're currently prospering and crushing it. I mean, they're multi-billion dollar publicly traded business, but um we're not a direct competitor with them. And so I, I think we're we're the soft sided convenient five to seven hour going out to the, the, the ballpark or going to a picnic or boat and they're going to be the camping in the two week long. And so, um, from an exit strategy position, I think right now we're just focusing on building the, the core business and having the structure put into place, making sure that we have, um, a really strong team. Employee happiness is like high on our list. We we're really big in culture because I think that's what makes people excited to come into work every day is that, they really do like working at Kanga. It is a lot of fun. We don't actually drink breakfast beers like our content makes it seem at nine in the morning. Um, but we do an annual team retreat. We do a fun Friday. You know, we have pickleball courts in the warehouse when it's not Q4. And um, I think if we can build the foundation of this thing over the next couple of years, then there's opportunities for it to go a lot of ways. Maybe it is working with a large company like Yeti directly under them. Uh, or maybe it's something that's more adjacent and it's more strategic. And it's, um, we fill a gap that that large company is not currently servicing. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> sorry. What do you feel like, uh, what do you feel like you spend your time on? And then also in conjunction with that though, what do you think you should be spending time on? Steve and I always go back and forth on this of like, we really want to work on, you know, this big project or this growth thing. But then we ended up spending 75% of the day on like, God knows what, like, I can't even remember. Right. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. My, my two partners and I are doing our kind of annual business plan meeting all day tomorrow. And I think our big message from the meeting is how can in 2024 and beyond we start working on the business and not in the business. Cause we've been in the trenches and in the weeds the last couple of years and actually getting our hands dirty, which we're happy to do. But I think it's important if the business is going to go from the eight figure mark to the nine figure mark and beyond, um, we have to be thinking a lot more strategically and not kind of living in the moment, the day to day grind that it sometimes feels like. So I think we're going to make some, some key hires and, uh, and help offload some of the, um, the things that we currently spend our time with. One being HR. Um, like I said, our culture and employee happiness is like one of the highest priorities for us. And with that comes a lot more work than I ever expected and just making sure that you know, we're taking great care of them. There's a short feedback loop and, um, you know, they have the resources that they need to be successful in their personal life and, and at their Kanga life. And so we spend a lot more time on HR than I think, you know, we, we should start working on delegating that off. Um, and then operations is just, it's the warehouse self-fulfilling this whole thing. 
has been crazy. Like we've talked to three PLs before we've explored that route. And at the end of the day, we always come back and we're like, no, we can do it. We can definitely do it. <laughs> it's like, you know, I think we just need, um, some, some new systems and, you know, there's just some improvements that can be made. Um, we, we run out of space in Q4 and that's the, pro- it's like, we should never be losing our pickleball court. That's part of employee happiness, you know, <laughs> and when all the inventory comes in, it's like, ah, well, there goes the pickleball court. So that's another big thing for us. Is yeah. I have, I have, uh, teeter tottered with fulfillment. We have a love hate relationship over the past three to four years and I go back and forth and, uh, I'll always be like, well, it's just better if we do it in house. Well, it's better if we outsource it. Well, it's better if we do it in house, but you kind of talked about those, those main hires, like what's your, what's your leadership team look like? Do you have a VP of marketing and a, you know, like a CTO in that, or is it just kind of you and your co-founder? Yeah, we've got, um, a head of marketing, a head of operations right now. I think we could, I, I'm currently the head of sales. I think that's a, a hire that we need to make is to get um, some experience in the promotional product space, some experience in the big box conversation space. Um, someone who understands like managing independent sales reps, because that's just been a foreign concept for me. And when you have, you know, five guys on the B2B sales team currently, and then some of them each have independent sales reps that they're managing. It's just, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen there. And so some guidance there, um, you know, a, a potentially a, a really strong warehouse hire, um, someone who could run it like a 3PO. And so maybe there's a day where we are a 3PL and that we can fulfill our friends um, growing businesses that need that overload in Q4 and that little bit of help. Um, HR would maybe be outsourced to like a good, a good company who's got that experience there. Um, but that's, that's it because right now it's, I, I focus on organic marketing and, and kind of managing the, the B2B sales department. Logan is our CEO, but he's mainly focused on digital marketing and paid marketing. And then Ryan handles our finances. And, um, and then we've got the head of operations and the head of marketing. And so the departments feel nearly covered. Um, it's probably just the, trickle down effect and giving a little bit of support to those departments. Can can you talk about that sales team? Um, especially on the wholesale side, like what, what is there? So it sounds like there's five plus people. Um, you know, you, you do get inbound from all of the marketing you guys are doing. Are they just handling inbound? Are they cold emailing and calling out as well? It sounds like now maybe they're doing trade shows too. What's that look like? Yeah, we love the trade show grind. So we've got one guy focused entirely on full custom. So he does the die sublimation. He's working with our op- head of operations, the manufacturing side of it. Um, I'd say 70% of his business is inbound. And that's due to the organic marketing. That's due to the Facebook um, advertising. And then the other 30%, he's working with distributors. He's working with, um, you know, reaching out to distributors, going to PPAI. He's reaching out to golf tournaments and breweries and just cold calling via email, via Instagram. And then uh, the next sales guy is head of embroidery and embroidery is our domestic channel with a two or a three week lead time. Um, you can do, you know, 25 unit MOQ instead of 300 pieces. And so he manages that business. Again, most of it is inbound and we're very fortunate to have an inbound model. Um, it fluctuates, right? When ad spend goes up, the inbound leads go up too. Um, and he does some, some cold calling and some cold outreach as well. Then we have a guy managing independent wholesale. So your mom and pop stores, your surf shops, your, you know, golf stores. He's got a couple independent reps underneath of him. And then we have an events manager who supports 
the wholesale manager because they go to a lot of B2B shows together. The events manager also manages the ambassador program. And, um, and then we go to about 20 B2B shows a year and five to 10 D2C shows a year. So this month is, is our gauntlet. Uh, we've got five shows in three weeks, two teams splitting up next week will be myself and one another in Surf Expo in Orlando. And then the other team will be in Dallas doing the Dallas Home and Gift Show. The following week is the Atlanta Home and Gift Show with a team. And then I'll be out at PPAI with one other guy. And the final week is um, the PGA Show and the SLAT Sports Licensing and Tailgate Show, which we've gone the last two years. Love that show. But I just don't know if last year at the end of January felt like our our road team was really drained. And uh, when you only have two people in the booth and the show's busy, you're on your feet and you're talking for eight hours. And then people look no at lunch, us. No water. Right. And they look at us and they're like, oh, Kanga, the Breakfast Beers group, like they're going to be so fun to go out to the bars with and they're going to be our entertainment tonight. Mm. We're going to go out and drink with them until 2 a.m. and wake up at 7 a.m. and be back at the booth. And so we put our bodies through it in January. And so we're going to skip the tailgate show and just kind of manage our licensing and our you know, relationships. I found, I found the key to the trade shows is do not talk or drink after don't do anything except just look and smile. If you have to be out, it's, it's crazy because we've done so much business in the evening. Like I've truly found that going to the, the fun dinners with the buyers or with the distributors and they get to get to know us on a personal level and share a couple drinks. And then we get to go experience something after, um, has led to some, some large pieces, yeah. which sucks. Bruce, Bruce and I did a bunch of trade shows early on together. And after yeah. six o'clock, we would just sit in our hotel room for like an hour and be like, okay, how many more minutes do we yeah. have to go back out? We would take just all the business there. cards, text everybody, just, email everybody, follow up. We would just sit there and he's like, okay, yeah. let's go to this for two more hours. We just yep. got to go. That shop's going to be there. All right. <laughs> yeah, you do the, like you lay in your bed and you put your feet up on the, uh, on the back wall and you just kind of like lay back and just like, <laughs> I can't believe it's only five o'clock and I have to go do things for five hours. Uh, that's, that's awesome. awesome. All, right, all right. I have a question, Austin. You obviously have done a lot of custom. What's your worst horror story from a custom, custom job that you all did? Um, yeah, no. So there was a brand that we, there was a brand that it we, could be for, Go ahead. It could be from yesterday. It could be from last year. It could be all time. It could be in your inbox right now. I'll do, I can do an outdated one because I think we'd have a good laugh about it now. This is from like three or four years ago, but there was a really awesome lifestyle brand that we were working with that they're in the outdoor space based in Texas. Um, it's called Yee. So Y-E-E, Y-E-E. And so we did a full custom run for them. I think it was a, a thousand pieces, which at the time for us was a really solid size order. Um, really solid. And when we got the order in, we had approved the samples. We had approved everything. We got the order in and we saw that it was actually printed E-E-Y-E-E-Y. It was completely. <laughs> and so it breaks our heart to like actually like burn our product or destroy it or anything. But we took it to the dump um, in our Maravan in our office complex, warehouse complex center. And we just put the boxes there because there were so many, it wasn't going to fit in the actual like trash compactor. <laughs> well, we thought those were going to get Here destroyed. Here comes the truck in the back. And yeah. someone picked up all the coolers and was like trying to yard sale them. There, we found a, a couple leak like on Instagram and people DMing us like, hey, this isn't spelled wrong. We eventually got to the bottom of it and found like only 10 units ever got leaked out. But we had to pay the guy off basically to destroy the products and send us pictures that he took it to the dump and actually put it in a landfill. And I was like, God, it's just like, <laughs> 
How does that have to happen? Hey, like, what about that one in the corner? That was not burned yet. <laughs> that's right. That's so uh, get on know, it, Bob. That's one that just immediately comes to mind. But there's there's so many things that just like are you know Pantone colors are extremely difficult to match, and you have customers who yeah who change their mind and they want to change something halfway through production. It's going to make it delayed. I, mean, I remember. Two years ago, we um, had a container that was super late and it was all backed up in Charleston and eventually made it into the port, but it was not going to get released from the port until after the customer's golf tournament that weekend. So we rented a U-Haul from Greenville. When we opened the U-Haul, there was a homeless guy in there. So we had to kick him out. And then we drove all the way out to Charleston. <laughs> we had to break into our container at the port and we showed up with a, like a little like U-Haul. And there's those massive container trucks there. And so we're just driving in. We break open our container. We grab the coolers that we need. We lock the container back up and we drive it to our customer who was having a local event. And it was just like that day was an eight hour day to go get, you know, 300 cooler order for, you know, but that's what we'll do for our customers. And the other thing is we documented that moment. And that was probably one of our highest performing LinkedIn posts was vlogging. Guys, we just, we're, we're 22 years old. We just had to kick a homeless guy out of our U-Haul so we could drive to Charleston and break into a container and then pictures of us with these giant trucks and our little truck bed. And it's just like fun stories like that. That's amazing. <laughs> this is all yeah. pre-kids, right? And so I, I think now we're getting to our late 20s <laughs> and I, I know I know life's going to change when we take that next <laughs> yeah. step. We, I got married last year. My partners now have serious girlfriends. Congrats. One's engaged. One's getting married next year. Um, we're starting to have a staff that either has kids or is thinking about kids. And so I'm just curious to see how it plays out is that hustle mentality. It, it'll keep up because I think people are bought in, but those moments where you, you can drop everything and go drive to Charleston, where if you, if you have a responsibility, you have dog, kid, house, it's, it, it maybe changes that dynamic a little bit. And so I'm just curious to see how those. It uh, yeah, it definitely yeah, it definitely sure. slows down. No, my kids bark. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, but we've. I mean, anyone listening to this knows the crazy ninth hour. I'm driving to Hobby Lobby to get shirts. I'm going to SNS to pick them up. I'm like, you know, you driving destroy- to Chicago and then back yeah. and you yeah. forget it. Uh, and y'all's industry expects Amazon two day delivery. Now it feels like. Oh yeah, we've crazy. we've had. We've had friends charter private planes to get shirts to shows. I think if we all, there could be a, a yearbook of war of the best war stories in the custom decoration market. Um, they're so event based and event based. It's like they're useless <laughs> the day after the event. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, those are, those are, we could, we could really, really go down a deep rabbit hole about those, but that's, that's entrepreneurship, right? That's right. Um, the business doesn't sleep. This is Awesome. This is like super fascinating. I think just you finding this niche, growing it at such a young age, bootstrapping it without a lot of money, diving into custom, and then growing to that number uh, is really impressive. So I just just want to say congrats to you. And I think a lot of people listening to this will find find inspiration from it. Man, I appreciate it. I think that's our, at the end of the day, that's what we hope to do with this whole thing is like, yeah, if you watch our Shark Tank episode, you kind of saw my story at the end talking about how I worked for a Shark Tank company and, and that inspired me to stop my engineering job that I absolutely hated doing that I felt kind of pressured into getting an engineering degree because that's what my family, you know, wanted. And that's what friends in my family was like, Hey, he's good at math and science. He aspires to be an engineer and realized I hated it, loved entrepreneurship. And so, um, I felt stuck. And I think that Beatbox and King of Coolers was helped me get into a really good headspace and and not do something that I hated doing just because other people told me that is the path I should take. 
And so now we give once a month, at least we're going to a college or a high school or a middle school and giving class talks and trying to inspire those young people who maybe were in a similar position or feel like they have to go become a doctor or do a lawyer. And we need those occupations for sure. But for the people who don't want to do it, that feel stuck, hope to inspire them just a little bit. And we even went to a second grade class pre-COVID who was learning about entrepreneurship as part of their curriculum. I still can't spell the word and they're learning about it in the classroom. It's absolutely mind blowing. Um, but that's, that's honestly like why we love doing it is the DMs that we get after the Shark Tank episode re-airs and someone's like, dude, I wasn't going to start this thing, but you, you're the one who kind of pushed me forward to start it. And I'm like, there's nothing better. There's no money in the world that feels better than some kid DMing you that and you feeling like you made an impact. So. That's awesome. And if you guys are listening and want to reach out on wholesale, you can go to uh, wholesale.kangacoolers.com or you can browse on the site. You'll see B2B sales at the bottom. Um, And you can see all the different customized, uh, some examples and stuff too. So this is great. Austin, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for sharing the stories too. Um, it's funny just listening, Stephen and Austin. I think you guys have oddly similar businesses in different ways. I think we could talk um, for like five hours if we really were, like, because yeah. I'm really curious as to what Stephen's doing. Yeah, now we've too, got so. a lot. Of, we got a lot in common. <laughs> so, all right, we'll take that we offline. appreciate you on this episode, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye, Cheers, guys. guys. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully that was informative. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to hit the bell for notifications if you enjoyed this video. If you enjoy all the stuff we're putting out, it's really helpful. We love to just be able to see it. That means that we're doing a good job. To subscribe, hit the bell for notifications and hit the like button. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.